All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me this morning to Daniel 7. I wasn't here on New Year's Day. Uh, I hope the beginning of your year has uh, been good, but I still have a message that has been upon my heart that I feel deeply compelled to express as it relates to the beginning of this year, 2023. It isn't going to be a complicated message per se, although it is in a very real way about a complicated topic. Uh, to that extent, I hope it's not unsatisfying for you that we're going to be brushing over things that for some of you might not necessarily be, um, you might not be well-versed in them or, or you might be interested in more teaching on them. It is going to deal with uh, things that we might consider sort of end times topics. Uh, and of course, Daniel has a lot to do with end times topics. And uh, to that extent, um, obviously a lot more can be said on it. I remind you that I do have uh, the entire book of Revelation that I have preached through and uh, there's a great deal of information there if you want more in-depth on this topic. I also intend, I don't think it's anywhere except on the archives page of the website right now, but I do have maybe a seven or eight message series, uh, more of kind of a survey or an overview of various elements of, of end times. And then I have preached through Daniel as well. I was really young then. It was uh, early on in my ministry. I don't know if I'd preach it again the way I preached it before, um, but it is there. So all of those uh, resources are there at your disposal um, if you uh, would so desire it. I I hope that um, today will be an encouragement to you, however. And what I'm going to do today is basically just walk through Daniel 7 with you. And in doing so, I hope we will be reminded and comforted Uh, In some things. So we begin here in Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, and the Bible says this In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Now we find ourselves contextually in the first year of one who is called Belshazzar the king of Babylon. Now, within the narrative of Daniel, this means we have actually gone back in time from Daniel 6. The book of Daniel begins during the reign of the great king Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 5 takes its reader well beyond the days of King Nebuchadnezzar. The king ruled in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar ruled from 605 B.C. until his death in 562 B.C. Excuse me. There was a seven-year hiatus in that time where he did not rule. Uh, That is reflected in Daniel when uh, Nebuchadnezzar effectively loses his mind for a time until he repents of uh, his um, wickedness. And then he is brought back, not just to his kingdom and restored to his kingdom, but he is actually brought into a place of uh, acknowledgement of, of Jehovah as the most High God. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar would be succeeded by his son, uh, who ruled for two years before being murdered in August of 560 BC by Nerglisser, Nebuchadnezzar's son in law. Nerglisser would reign for four years, 560 to 556 BC. Following uh, his death, his son reigned for just two months before he was assassinated by Nabonidus. And this king would rule for the final 17 years of Babylon's uh, independent existence from 556 to 539 B.C. Now, among all of the kings of Babylon who succeeded Nebuchadnezzar, who, of course, was perhaps one of the greatest kings to have ever lived in in an imperial sense, uh, Nabonidus was, in fact, one who had true ability as a ruler. The empire did see some measure of recovery in his time, but certainly not enough uh, to stem the tide of the Medo-Persian Empire as uh, they were quickly on their way into a rise under the leadership of the great king 
Cyrus the Great. Now, beginning in 553 BC, so just three or four years after Nabonidus began to reign, he actually brought his son in as a co-regent with him. And this is not uncommon in history, that a man would have a co-regent. And this one, Belshazzar, is in fact that co-regent, the son of Nabonidus, who was reigning in Babylon at the time. This is not where Nabonidus was um, during this time, but he was there in Babylon. And this is the son that's mentioned beginning in Daniel chapter 5. And these events are recorded to have occurred in the last days of the Babylonian Empire. Now recall, Daniel was a young man when he was brought into Babylon. And so at this point, he's probably, this is 66 years after, after the captivity, after Daniel was taken into Babylonian captivity, he is most likely at this point in his 70s or perhaps even in his 80s. Now, in Belshazzar's days, the kingdom is overthrown. We read about that in Daniel chapter 5. And that's, uh, if you recall, uh, Daniel 1 through 6 are the the chapters everyone knows, right? Because that's where you get um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the the fiery furnace. And that's where you get um, uh, the handwriting on the wall. That's Daniel chapter 5 in the days of Belshazzar. And, of course, you get Daniel in the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. And so in in the lion's den, that's during the Medo-Persian Empire. But Daniel chapter 5 is that time of Belshazzar. So Belshazzar's days, he's overthrown. He's overthrown by the Medo-Persian Empire, led by Cyrus the Great as emperor. And then as emperor, he, ha- he would have kings, vassal kings, that would rule over various parts of his empire. And the vassal king that ruled over the part of the empire that was Babylon was a man named Darius. Now, one last thing to mention before moving on then to allow your, your mind to kind of... Um, uh, be organized into where we are historically. The book of Daniel is broken up into a section of history and a section of prophecy. So in Daniel chapters 1 through 6, we find a historical narrative of Daniel's days. And again, that's where we find all of those stories, right? Daniel refusing to eat the king's meat. Daniel interpreting the, uh, the, the vision uh, or the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar of the great statue. Uh, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael refusing to bow before that, the statue when Nebuchadnezzar built one. Daniel interpreting the writing on the wall in the days of Belshazzar. And Daniel in the lion's den. But then in Daniel chapter 7, the record changes from historical narrative to Prophecy. So we see a very definitive shift in tone. It's a change of format, it's a change of timing, and it's even a change of communicative intent. So take note of that important shift when you're reading in Daniel. And our text today, then, is the very first chapter of this prophecy section. So when I said before that we go back in time a little bit, that's because if you're reading through Daniel, you're reading about Nebuchadnezzar, And then after Daniel chapter 4, you're reading about Belshazzar, which would be uh, quite some time after Nebuchadnezzar. And then after that, you're reading about Darius the Mede in the days of the Medo-Persian Empire. And now we're back to Belshazzar. Well, why did we go back in time? Well, because we've shifted from historical narrative to prophetic narrative or prophetic teachings. And so there's no relationship directly between the narrative of chapters 1 through 6 and now the prophecies of chapters 7 through uh, the end of, of, of the book there. And so, so take note of that shift. We do come back then to the, 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 the days of Belshazzar where Daniel sees this dream that he records for our benefit. Now, the dream is this uh, that we read in uh, verses 2 through 8. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night 
And behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet of a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and it brake in pieces and stamped the residue of the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. Daniel describes in this vision four beasts. And these beasts correspond to Nebuchadnezzar's vision in Daniel chapter 2 and a subsequent vision in Daniel 8. And in that, I'm not giving you all of the background. Again, I feel that this message is somewhat inadequate. Many of you perhaps are familiar with these things. If you're not, um, come see me. I can get you up to speed or um, listen to the other messages I've preached on this topic. So Daniel sees four beasts come up from the sea. The sea is a general prophetic representation of the Gentile world, whereas the land is a general prophetic representation of that which is of Israel. And the first of these beasts was like a lion. And the text tells us that he had eagle's wings. Those wings were then plucked, and then it was lifted up and made, given the feet of a man, and made to stand like a man with a heart of a man. Now, the interpretation of this is only understood as we combine this with Daniel uh, chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 8, but we generally understand, interpretively speaking, that this lion corresponds to ne- uh, Babylon and specifically Nebuchadnezzar as the king of Babylon. So the lion would correspond to the head of gold from Daniel chapter 2. Uh, this uh, the, the doesn't come up in Daniel chapter 8, uh, the reason being because it's well past the time where Babylon was any longer a, a, a of consequence within uh, prophecy because Babylon had already passed well out of the way. So that is the lion. And even the idea of his wings being plucked, that would be the seven years that Nebuchadnezzar was... Um, uh, insane. And then following that time in his recovery, he had repented and he had actually aligned himself with the most high God. In prophecy, when you see the idea of a man or the heart of a man, the idea of the heart of a man would be someone who is right with God. Uh, God, uh, Symbolizing the idea that the nations of the world and the kingdoms of this world and even the leaders of this world, though they think themselves so great, so powerful, so wonderful, are in the eyes of God little more than just brute beasts. And those that are, are truly in the eyes of God a man 
as it were, are those who are rightly related to him. And so we see him given the heart of a man, and we'd understand this to be Nebuchadnezzar and the great kingdom of Babylon. Now, the second beast was a bear. And the, the text says that the bear had three ribs in its mouth, and one side was higher than the other side. And we recognize this when we correspond uh, both with the, the, the arms and the chest of silver, as well as the ram with two horns from Daniel chapter 8, to be the Medo-Persian Empire. We recognize that this was a merging of two, uh, two nations into one great empire, with one nation being significantly stronger than the other nation, and of course them coming together and being stronger together. And so that would be that bear and would well correspond uh, to it. The third beast is a leopard. And this leopard had four heads and four wings. And once again, we see this correspond to the waist and uh, to the, the, the upper legs of brass in Daniel chapter 2 and the goat with the single horn in Daniel 8. And it's explicitly said in Daniel chapter 8 that this would be the nation that would come after Medo-Persia, specifically the Grecian nation or the nation of Greece led by Alexander the Great. Now, what we see in Daniel chapter 8 is the single horn on the goat that being representative of the fact that Alexander the Great was the pinnacle of that empire's leadership, right? But we also recall that Alexander the Great died, and he died very, very young. He conquered the world, and then he died. And, his na- and, and, and the, the empire did not stay together after his death. It was actually divided into four heads, four by his four generals. We had Ptolemy in Egypt, we had Seleucus in Syria, we had uh, uh, Cassander in Macedonia, and we had Lysimachus in Thrace. And so each of these four generals actually took a portion of his empire and created four great nation-states from it, and that would be the four heads of the leopard and the four wings that the leopard had here. So we recognize here that that is Greece. So we've seen this historical uh, trail from Babylon, Babylon overcome and destroyed by the Medo-Persian Empire. Medo-Persian Empire overcome and destroyed by Greece. And then we come to this fourth beast. And Daniel describes this beast as dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. Not likened, he said, to anything else upon the earth. And this beast became a particular point of fascination for Daniel. Because upon the head of this beast was ten horns, and then another eleventh horn, which is called the little horn. And this horn arose up, and he would actually take precedence over the other horns, and he would pluck up three of those ten horns. And as we compare Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, this fourth beast is, the, is an empire which uh, quite evidently begins with the empire of Rome. But it is also an empire out of which will come a future biblical prophecy. Because this 11th horn, this notable horn, is, is, is a, a picture of something which we see correspond to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Where there will be a leader that comes and there will be a, a, a league of 10 nations And those ten nations will be led by one who we regularly call Antichrist, the yet future kingdom of Antichrist, and we recognize him to be that notable eleventh horn. Now, we know from history that Rome never truly fell. And for those of you that uh, are familiar with my Revelation series, you'll know that the way I, I believe this to be, because we see 
in the vision or in the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And we will also see, as, as we'll see here in a little bit in our own uh, Daniel chapter 7 prophecy, we see that it is in the day of this fourth beast. It is in the day of the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay when the kingdom of God comes and establishes the kingdom of God on this earth. And you say, well, that's interesting because we have Babylon and then we have Medo-Persia and then we have Greece and then we have Rome. But Rome has come and Rome has gone and yet the kingdom of God has not come. Depending on who you talk to, various interpretations say, no, the kingdom of God has come. We're not in that camp. We're not in that boat. And we say, well, how does that work? How is it that the kingdom of God has not come when the fourth beast has come, when the legs of iron have come? Well, and if we see the legs of iron, if we see the beast as only the Roman Empire proper, well, then we have a problem. But if we recognize that everything that we are today in what we call the Western world is actually little more than an extension of Roman culture, Romans' culture, Roman, Rome's structure, Rome's traditions have carried forth from the time of Rome to today throughout the Western world. So I believe we can comfortably say that the fourth beast is actually the Western world empire that we are still living under today, a culture and tradition which began with Rome but has in fact continued. The whole point when we look at those beasts and, that, and, and, and the image is that one gives way to another. Right? One culture gives way to another. Babylonian culture was superseded by Medo-Persian culture. Uh, 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 Medo-Persian culture was superseded by Grecian culture. And Grecian culture was superseded by Roman culture. There has, no been, there has been no supersession of Roman culture. We are still in a Western world. We are still in the world that Rome established. So... I believe that we are still in that final phase. We are still in those legs of iron. We are still in that fourth beast, looking toward that time that Revelation speaks of when there will be this ten-nation confederacy and the little horn will come out. So that's kind of an establishment of, of, where, of what Daniel is seeing here. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Now, I am actually going to skip a bit of the text of Daniel 7, and we're going to come back to it, but that's going to be, uh, as it were, our application. So Daniel is uniquely fascinated by this fourth beast and this eleventh horn. Let's pick up, we're going to, going to skip to verse 19, and we'll read through verse 25. The Bible says this in verses 19 through 25. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And, the ten, and of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horde made war with the saints, and prevailed against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given unto the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first." And he shall subdue three kings, 
And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and a dividing of time. So the angel says that the ten horns are, as I mentioned, ten kings, and the eleventh horn will destroy three of these kings and dominate the other seven. And this corresponds directly, as I mentioned, to Revelation. If you want to look that up, it's actually in Revelation 17 where you can see this correspondence. The fourth beast would devour the whole earth, the text says, not necessarily meaning that there would be no other kingdoms on this earth, for as we compare scripture with scripture, we find in the book of the Revelation that there is this kingdom that uh, we might understand to be the Western world, this uh, kingdom that is dominated by this man who is Antichrist, but his is not the only kingdom in that time. We see Gog of Magog in that time, and we also see the kings of the East. In that time. So we recognize that there are other kingdoms as well, but rather we find that this, this Western world empire would dominate world affairs. And he, he, it will dominate world affairs until the end, reminding us that at the time of Jesus' return, we would expect that if we have interpreted the Bible correctly, and it's entirely possible that we haven't, um, but we compare Scripture with Scripture, we do our due diligence, we do the best we can, we, we use a proper and, and a functional interpretive method, and we come to these conclusions. And as we come to these conclusions, if these conclusions are at all accurate, then we would believe that this Western world empire that grew out of that fourth beast that is Rome will actually remain the dominant world empire until Jesus returns. Not the Eastern nations, not Russia, but the Western world empire. Now, this 11th horn will make war with the saints, the scriptures tell us, which in the context of the Old Testament, in the context of Daniel's days, the saints are the people of Israel. And we find, as we compare scripture with scripture, that this 11th horn is the one who we would call Antichrist, who we expect to be an actual person, but who also might be the leader of an 11th nation state of sorts. He will exalt himself against the Most High. And the scriptures say that he will be given power for a time and times and the dividing of time. This is a prophetic statement which we find several times in Daniel and we connect to what the book of the Revelation tells us about two distinct three and one half year periods. So a time being one year, a times being two year, and a half of time being half a year. And the scriptures speak of two three and a half year periods that will make up what we often call the seven years of tribulation. And we say will because as we trace history, as I've already said, the Roman Empire has come, and historically we would say it has gone. But we believe the final days of this fourth beast have yet to be manifest on this earth. This eleventh horn has yet to reveal himself. We certainly know he had not revealed himself by the days of Jesus, because Jesus speaks of him. When you see the abomination of desolation standing in the temple, flee. We see in First and Second Thessalonians, Paul say the time has not yet come. The man of sin has not yet been revealed. And so we know that by this time, there was still a future anticipation of these things. And we see nothing in history that reflects properly that which Daniel is attempting to show us in the book of the Revelation as it relates to these things. Now again, I say that there are a lot of people that disagree this would be an orthodox inter interpretation, but there are 
preterists and partial preterists and whatever else that would, that would go in very, very many different directions as it relates to prophecy. I'm not here to argue those points this morning at all. I did that in the Revelation series. It's all there for you. We'll hit it again at some point. I try to alternate between a family series and an end time series every couple of years. So we'll get there eventually. This year will be a family series, but we'll, we'll, we'll be back there eventually. But my focus today is what happens at the end of those three and a half years of dominance of the 11th little horn. What happens when that fourth beast comes to his end? What happens when that rock that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream hits the bottom of that statue of those feet that are made of iron and of clay? Daniel sees in that time a rock hit the, hit the feet of that statue and that statue topples over and that rock grinds that image to powder and the wind blows that powder away and then that rock grows into a mountain which is the kingdom of God. And remember, that was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That was in the historical narrative part of Daniel. And it was in the historical narrative part of Daniel because Daniel was relating what happened, what what he told Nebuchadnezzar, and then how he interpreted what Nebuchadnezzar had seen. He was telling us what had happened historically. In Daniel chapter 7, this is what God is showing Daniel prophetically. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to go back to verse 9, the verses that we skipped in Daniel 7. And we're going to see what happens to that fourth beast that is representative of these same legs of iron and feet of iron mixed with clay in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. We read this in Daniel 7, beginning in verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, And his wheels as burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, that would be the eleventh horn, I beheld till even the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts... They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. So Daniel sees these four beasts. And after seeing these four beasts, and particularly uh, being, being fixated on this fourth beast, Daniel sees their thrones cast down. And he sees one called the Ancient of Days, that being representative of God the Father, sitting upon a throne. And the text describes him as his garment being white as snow, his hair being of pure wool, and his throne like a fiery flame. The imagery of white, the white garments, the white hair, is an imagery of purity. The imagery of the fiery throne being that of judgment. So he is holy, he is righteous, he is pure, and he stands to judge. The Bible says 10,000 times 10,000 ministered unto him. And this great king opened the books and the scriptures say he judged the nations and the beast of that little horn, the little horn being one of 11 horns that had come out of that great beast's head, that beast, the scriptures say, was slain and his body was burned. Now the other nations, the Bible says, were given uh, for a time to continue 
but their dominion was taken away, and we would understand that to have a lot to do with them entering into the millennial kingdom, uh, but not, of course, having any dominion outside of the dominion of Christ. Because all dominion and glory rested with the Ancient of Days. So the picture that we see here is of God the Father stripping from the nations of men their authority, destroying this nation out of which came Antichrist, this, this uh, empire, and then God taking that dominion for himself. Notice then what's written in verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So Daniel finally sees one like the Son of Man. We know this one by the name Jesus Christ. And he comes in the clouds of heaven and he appears before the Ancient of Days who has all dominion and power. And he is given that dominion and that power over every nation and over every leader and over every kingdom and over every people and over every language. And unlike the dominion of any of those four great empires, starting with Babylon, the greatest of those empires, the golden head of the image, and working their way to the great Western Empire of which we are still a part. Unlike the dominion of any of those empires that came out of the sea, this one's dominion, the dominion given to the Son of Man, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away nor be destroyed. Now, I titled this message A Quick Reminder. And the quick reminder I want to give to you on this, the beginning of 2023 is this. We live in perilous times. The leaders of this world exalt themselves against their own people. They exalt themselves against the design and the knowledge of the true and living God. They do this because they think they have everything under control. They are convinced that they, through their collective wisdom and capabilities, are ready to become their own gods. To take hold of existence, even life and death itself, and to bend it to their will. They're arrogant. They are self-serving. They're willing to achieve these goals at whatever cost, thinking that this is indeed their destiny. Now, this is in no way new thinking. Great men have always thought this way, great guys of man. Men have always exalted themselves in such fashion, but never has the technology been there that has brought about the kind of possibilities that modern leaders see before them to cast off any notion of God, any notion of design, and to be for themselves, not only the gods of their own existence, but to exalt themselves as gods among men. But the only reason why they believe this is because they don't believe what the Bible says. We do believe what the Bible says. And the Bible tells us the end of the story. We read the end of the story this morning, Daniel chapter 7. The end of the story is that these world leaders who exalt themselves against God and men will one day stand before the Ancient of Days. And on that day, they will not stand there as those who are gods of their own existence. They will not stand there being able to commend their own dominion. They will stand there in humility, in awe, and in fear. 
before the great and terrible God. Their dominion, whatever it is or they perceive it to be, will be stripped from them and the remnants of that glory will be burned in the fire. And all dominion and all power will be handed to our Savior who is the King of kings and who is the Lord of lords. Who has promised not only to prepare a place for us, but who has promised that we will rule and reign with him in that place. To that end, David wrote in Psalm 2, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves against the, uh, against the ruler, uh, excuse me, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That word anointed there being Messiah, that's our Savior Jesus, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Verse 4 is God's response. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. The kings of the earth dream of the day where they might finally rest all power and dominion away from God, cast off any notion of accountability, break the chains of God's accountability over them, and be the gods of their own existence. And they dream such futile dreams. For the ancient of days, the scriptures tell us, is sitting on the circle of the earth and he is laughing. That any man would think that he could be such, how he could have such power. As man's greatest attempts at claiming said dominance roll off of him like water. And while all humanity does and will continue to suffer loss at the hands of the powers that be in their pragmatic efforts to overthrow the dominion of God, we who are in Christ live in the hope of this day. The day when the Ancient of Days, sitting upon his throne, will hand all dominion over to the Son of Man. And His dominion will be an everlasting dominion. When that rock from Daniel chapter 2 hits the very feet of the statue of, the, of all that men have built over the course of millennia in the name of human greatness, and the kingdom of God will come and will grind all of that achievement to powder and it will blow away in the wind. And then it will grow into a mountain with a foundation that will never be removed. There's coming a day when the clouds will part, when the trumpet will sound, when the Lord will return to establish this everlasting kingdom. And may we be reminded of this broader picture as we enter 2023. May we remember who wins. May we remember who rests on the winning side. May we be comforted by the inevitable reality of the dominion of Jesus Christ over the kingdoms of this world. Yes, the kings will rage against the Most High. Yes, our culture is raging against the Most High, not just in dominion, but even in design. And yet as they rage against Him, they do so at the expense of those who are under them, at the expense of those who they're responsible for, but they will break against the kingdom of God like water against a rock. Until the day that God's purposes are fulfilled. And then the everlasting dominion of Jesus Christ will be established. Christian, that's what we live for. 
That is our blessed hope. That is why we purify ourselves as he is pure. That is why we seek into this kingdom. That is why when Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That is what we are seeking. That is what we are, are, are directed unto. That is where our heart rests. That is where our loyalty lies. As those who are ambassadors, as those who are strangers in a land that is not our own pilgrims on a journey to our heavenly home. And we are waiting for our king to return. And until that day, he said, Occupy till I come. And may this encourage us. May this strengthen us. May it invigorate us to keep on keeping on. Maybe January began and you're a little tired. Maybe another year of this is going to be a little tough. Maybe there's a lot that's ahead of you and you're a bit overwhelmed. Don't forget who wins. Maybe we look at the kingdoms of this world and we see those who are in our leadership and we recognize that there's not a lot there. There's a whole lot more evil than anything else. And we wonder, what is that going to mean for us? What is that going to mean for our children? What's that going to mean for our posterity? What's that going to mean for our church? What's that going to mean for our families? But we know who wins. And we know that as these kingdoms, as as the heathen rail against the Lord, as they they seek to, to strip dominion from Him, He who is in the heavens laughs. Because there's nothing that any man can do to thwart the purposes of God. May this renew our determination unto obedience to the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. May it renew our encouragement as it relates to the circumstances that we find around us. And may it renew our zeal. That there's coming a time where, 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 where we will rest. And maybe that will be today, maybe that will be tomorrow. But as long as the Lord tarries, may we continue the work that he's left us here to do. Do you know what that work is? Maybe there's some sitting here today and you're not a part of this kingdom. You've never come to the place where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you make today the day where you enter into the kingdom? For God so loved the world, John 3.16 says, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He goes on to say, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Are you living under condemnation, the condemnation of your unbelief this morning? Or have you entered into the kingdom? Are you banking upon the fact that God's dominion is not an everlasting dominion? If so, you're, you're banking on a fool's errand, on a delusion His kingdom is an everlasting dominion, an everlasting kingdom. You're in or you're out. Are you in today? Are you a part of the kingdom? Have you come to the Savior? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? For those of you who are believers, how are you living? Everlasting dominion. That's a really long time. This life is but a vapor. It appears for a moment and then it vanishes away. But what we do in this life matters. Matters for eternity. Are you living in a manner that when our Savior comes, when our King comes, when our Master returns, He will find us faithful? Are you tired? Maybe things feel a little bit purposeless right now. You've been knocking at a door and it's not opening. 
You've worked really hard and it's not really come to full fruition. You're, you're, you're praying and you're laboring and you're seeking unto righteousness and you're reaching out to those in need and you're doing what you can and you feel like it's not enough. And those times come. But there's a God in heaven. The labor is not in vain. And we know that we're on the winning side. So strengthen the hands that are weary. Lift up the head. Let's keep working for him. Because it's worth it. And in the end, there's rest and there's victory. May God encourage us this morning. May he motivate us this morning. And may we, as we step into this year, be determined to follow him as we ought. Not just our Savior, but the one who is already determined from history past, from eternity past, to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.